Gracious Father, would you uphold me that I might uplift thee through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please take a seat. Uh, before I read to you from God's Word, just to say, very nice to be back here with y'all. And um, it's always a joy to be here. I hope those of you who are here who are members of this great cathedral realize what a blessing this is. This is a very unique place, believe me. I travel the world, and it's always a privilege and a joy to come here. I'd like to thank Andrew for his uh, generous invitation and for his exceptionally warm welcome. Thank you, brother. Uh, I want to read to you from Luke chapter 7, and if you want to reach for a pew Bible, um, you might find that helpful. This is entitled, Jesus Anointed by a Sinful Woman. Now, one of the Pharisees invited to Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You who judge correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. About three weeks ago, I was standing in a field in the middle of nowhere, somewhere in northern Uganda. Uh, it was hot, it was dusty. Uh, I was not on my own. I was joined by 20,000 other enthusiastic Ugandan Christians, some of whom had walked hundreds of miles to be there, to commemorate the death of one of Uganda's martyrs, Janani Lewum, the archbishop, who was killed by uh, Idi Amin's thugs and is now kind of has rock star status uh, amongst the Ugandans. It was an amazing time, but I couldn't help but compare that with what I confront when I come home uh, to the Western world. So often what I find in churches is some kind of form of low-cost, faux Christianity in churches, where commitment of the gospel seems to come second 
to commitments to a whole load of other stuff. Being in Uganda reminded me how those of us in the West can be distracted from the cause that we claim to have espoused. People back home say stuff to me like it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. Well, listen, there are some people who believe that if you carry an acorn round in your pocket for the whole of your life, you will gain eternal youth. That would save a lot of cosmetic surgery. People say it doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you believe it sincerely. But of course, what if you're sincerely wrong? Or that phrase off used by people I meet uh, in the sports world. I believe in myself and my ability. We must, I think, painfully address the question, why is it that out in the desert of northern Uganda, with a bunch of people who all have nothing, some of whom have got distended tummies because they haven't had enough to eat, the crops have failed for two years uh, in Uganda. Why is it that those people who have nothing and who have a very difficult life somehow seem to be far more spontaneously joyful, far more spontaneously grateful to God for what they have than many of us who sit in the comfortable, well, maybe not comfortable pews of our churches. Why is this? Well, of course, the answer to that is very complex. Uh, and I don't have time to go through that with you right now because you're ready for lunch. But we are the generations of Christians who, unlike any other generations of Christians, have been subject to relentless mass marketing. Designed to unsettle us, designed to make us want more, designed to make us look at what everybody else has got, and it just distracts us. Meant to unsettle you. Paul seemed to think, he was obsessed by the novel idea that the primary role of the church was to preach the gospel. He told the Christians in Corinth, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Uh, he told the Christians in Rome, unlike many churches today, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the Roman church. Those early apostles we know all lost their lives for the sake of what they believed in. And throughout the course of, course of human history, there have been people, thank God for them, because they're part of the reason that we sit here today. There have been people who thought the gospel was worth living for and worth dying for. Why the gospel? Surely there are all kinds of other things in my life and in your life that could save us. But today's reading reminds us of a woman who the Bible describes as sinful, who showed relentless and outstanding devotion to Jesus. Her tears wet his feet, and her perfumed oil was rubbed into his body. And a respectable religious type probably the nearest thing they had to a bishop, is offended. I paraphrase, but basically what he's saying is, if you're the person that people think you are, why would you let a woman like that come anywhere near you? And Jesus' response is interesting. 
and may give us a clue as to why we in the West find it difficult to see why it is that we need the gospel. Why it is the only cure for our woes. And I'll say more about that in a moment. And Jesus concludes by saying to this woman, He who has been forgiven little loves little. Today, as throughout every day of Christian history, human beings have a choice. The choice is, do we accept the truth of the gospel, the good news that Jesus wrought by his death and resurrection? Or are we likely to do well just choosing to believe what we want to believe? A little bit of Christianity never did anybody any harm, but it never got him into heaven either. In other words, you will never understand the depth of God's love in saving you unless you understand the depths from which you need to be saved. Put it another way, unless you understand biblical anthropology, you will never understand biblical uh, soteriology. Time is short, and I want to come at this from one very clear direction. I know this is a big medical center, and the doctors in the house know this, that what we want from our doctors, those of us who are not medics, is the ability to get the diagnosis right, to be able to get to the very cause of what our problem is. Without an accurate diagnosis, the prognosis will likely be adrift, and certainly the cure will at best be haphazard. I don't think this is a particularly contentious thing to say. And we must pray for our doctors that they are wise in their diagnostic skills. When it comes to the human condition, we also need to know what's wrong with us. The Bible offers us a diagnosis. But the same rules apply to the Bible's diagnosis as apply to a medical diagnosis. Get the diagnosis wrong, and you will get the prognosis for human beings wrong, and you will never, ever understand the cure. Why is the gospel so important? It's important because it is, to use the language of the old preachers, it is efficacious. It works. It's truthful in nailing our predicament, in offering us a prognosis, and also, the cure is truly amazing. What is the diagnosis? Well, this is a bit you're really not going to like. The diagnosis is we are all sinful to the core. We don't like to admit that, you know, pride can get in the way of that. Paul said in Romans 3, chapter 23, all have sinned. That's at least all of you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Friends, if I were you, I would be offended. And I want to apologize, but nevertheless, I have to love you enough to speak the truth to you. What is the evidence? Well, simply look at the world around you. Fact is, we are better educated than we've ever been. We have been exposed to more developmental stuff in the past century. We are, on the whole, far more prosperous than our forebears. But my nation and your nation, at this stage in our history, are about as divided as they could be. We have increased incidence of mental health issues. 
We, and we have sexual profligacy on an industrial scale, pornography, whatever. But sin isn't just about that stuff. Sin is that innate human fallenness that means we are always tempted to do our thing rather than God's thing. And then we have social media with all the lies and the harassment that there is online. Malcolm Muggeridge, a late convert to the Christian faith, wrote this. He said, it has become abundantly clear in the second half of the 20th century that Western man has decided to abolish himself. Until at last, he went on, having educated himself into imbecility and polluted and drugged himself into stupefaction, he keels over a weary, battered old brontosaurus and dies. You know, there are a lot of people who sit in churches Sunday by Sunday, hoping that maybe tomorrow it will all happen for them. That somehow the penny will drop. As if, to quote Garrison Keeler, they've lived half their lives waiting for their life to begin. And somehow it's not happening. Look at the world around you. If all this stuff, this good stuff that's going on is not making us better, but leading us towards some kind of moral abyss, then there's something wrong. Malcolm Mugridge, I think you would agree, doesn't really hold back on his language. But interestingly, we still propagate the myth that more education, more development, more effort will save us. But it doesn't seem to be happening. If we look to the world of the arts, we can find evidence of further cultural degradation. A uh, winner of the valued Turner Prize in the United Kingdom uh, was a youngish woman whose uh, exhibit was her own bed, replete with her soil sheets, a used condom, knotted knickers, and empty bottles of alcohol heralded by some as a great triumph of conceptual art. Well, I wonder what Rembrandt would have made of it. Of course, we are told at the same time that we are the hapless victims of determinism. You are the way you are, dear friend, because of the way you were parented, because of your childhood, because of your biology, your environment, and your poverty. And of course, like most half-truths, there is something in this. But of course, the reality is that if you have been parented by perfect parents, if you have been brought up in la-la land, a kind of wonderful environment, if you had received the best education and your therapist was known to be the best on planet Earth, you would still by the Bible's definition, be a sinner. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher in Westminster Chapel, wrote these words in 1941. I doubt then he saw the prophetic outcome of his words. Writing on the subject of why is the world in its present condition, he says this, Surely, he says, it must be obvious by now that the whole of life, that humanity would slowly develop and improve, was entirely wrong and false. But is it? Is it, is it obvious to all of us who claim to be Christians? 
It goes on. Have not many of us rejoiced for years in what we fondly regarded as the inevitable progress of the world? Have we not felt within ourselves in the face of dwindling Christian membership and attendance, and in spite of the obvious deterioration in the general tone of life, the world was somehow a better place? He concludes, there can be but one explanation of that, that such a view of life must be tragically and fundamentally wrong. Friend, I need you to understand this diagnosis. Because if you do not understand this diagnosis, the whole thing will just continue to mystify you and even bore you. All have sinned, said Paul, and fall short of the glory of God. You need to understand that you cannot save yourself. You can make yourself feel temporally better by comparing yourself with those who you deem to be morally inferior to yourself. You can live within the limits of your ongoing delusion. You can go to church and smile sweetly at clergy. You can give away your money liberally. You can do a whole lot of things. But in the end, they cannot serve you. Only Christ can save you from your sin, dear friend. Only Christ can open the gate of heaven and let you in. Only Christ can give you eternal life as a free gift. Only Christ can make you not only know about forgiveness, but make you feel forgiven. And only Christ can put his spirit inside of you that you might live a worthwhile life, a sanctified life, a whole life. Only Christ. Christ on a cross where he died that your sins might be forgiven. Everywhere I go in Anglican churches in the Western world, there is this massive delusion that somehow we can save ourselves. That somehow, if we just try and do enough good in our lives, maybe God would turn a blind eye to that which is not so good. Let me say it again. If you had the perfect childhood in the most ideal environment, with plenty of money and no biological predispositions, you would still have that inner fight. The fight to follow your own self-centered ways or to follow God's way. You would still be a sinner. And that is why you need a savior. This world's nonsensical ethic that we are free to do what we like as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else is revealed as the lie it is by the tsunami of hurting people who walk around your cities and my cities who are just aching for something different. To get back to medicine for a moment, what you need to know is that... um, People lie to doctors. Maybe you've done it. You know when they ask you the question, how many units of alcohol do you consume? What doctors will do is if you say, I have four a week, they'll double it immediately. And the truth may be even worse than that. Uh, And 55% of doctors in a recent uh, analysis lie to their patients. 55% of doctors said they described a patient's prognosis in a more positive manner than was warranted. Dear friend, I plead with you today. 
don't try and lie to God. Don't think that God will lie to you. God's word is trustworthy. Its diagnosis is true. Trust him and him alone in Christ. Trust the Bible's diagnosis and God's cure for your life. And you will start to be the person God wants you to be. You will know forgiveness. And you will know what real freedom looks like. Come clean today. Seek God's grace and mercy. Admit the truth about yourself. For we all know that there are times in life when we have to be cruel to be kind. Parents know this. Doctors know it. But apparently not enough preachers know it. I would rather begin this week with a soothing message to make y'all feel good. But if the diagnosis is wrong, the rest of it's wrong, as we have seen. My prayer for you today as we go to lunch is this, that God will reveal his truth to you, as I believe he will. That you will start to trust the Bible's diagnosis that you will understand that you cannot save yourself and that you will throw yourself on the throne of grace and know yourself to be saved for eternity. Jesus said to that sweet woman who knelt at his feet and sobbed and kissed his feet, those who forgive little love little. You will never know the depth of God's love for you until you acknowledge the depth of sin in you and the love that God has for you in putting his son on a cross that you might be forgiven. Lord, would you come again in this great cathedral in the power of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit that convicts us the Spirit that speaks truth to our hearts. And Lord, all we pray is that today you would reveal yourself to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And the people said, Amen.